0: The devastation of flooding in BC is on a scale unlike anything Canada has ever seen. Major infrastructure systems have been destroyed, supply chains have been cut off, and ecological systems have been disrupted. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10.3. National Post columnist Terry Glavin joins me to discuss how the disaster showed gaps in the province's emergency preparedness, why BC may not be through the worst of it, and why this is a disaster Canadians can't ignore. Don't forget you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your favorite shows. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So Terry, over the last few days, Canadians have seen pretty horrific images coming out of British Columbia. Flooding damage, property damage, the visual of the RV dealership burning the visual of people trying to help tow cattle through the water i'm just wondering can you give us a bit of an overview of where things sit now in bc regards to both the damage how widespread we're talking about but also you know is bc out of the woods yet
1: no way we got a ways to go yet i think most people are familiar from the more dramatic images of Sumas Prairie in Abbotsford in the Fraser Valley. Mm -hmm. Sumas Prairie was a lake a century ago, and it was drained. You know, it's been really flat for a long time. And then, you know, we had a situation where the Barrowtown pump looked like it was going to fail. The Fraser River was flowing into the prairie. And then in the United States, on the Washington state side, the Nooksack River burst its banks, and started to flow north into Canada. (laughs) And that is actually still happening. That's still a problem. And we got uh, some hundreds of uh, Canadian forces are in the area now. They're trying to build up a levee. They're actually using Highway 1 as a levee. They've actually had to deliberately flood a whole bunch of new homes, new areas, to get the water moved, right?
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So we're not utterly and completely cut off From the rest of Canada anymore. Okay. In that you can get out, I think there's single lane emergency vehicles only traffic on Highway 7. That's north of the Fraser River. Yeah. Maybe I should explain this a little bit. Sure. There's basically only one way to get by road from Vancouver to the rest of the country, Mm -hmm. or the main way, and that is you drive from Vancouver to Hope. Hope is about 120 kilometers or so east of Vancouver. And uh, and then you get on the Coquihalla Highway, which is, uh, I'm going to say it's, it was opened about 30, 35 years ago, and it kind of goes way over the top of the mountains, comes down in Kamloops, and you hook up there to the Yellowhead Highway, and that brings you out to Jasper and the rest of the country. Yeah, There are two older roads. One is the old Crow's Nest Road, the old Doodney Trail which runs along the border through the mountains. And that ends up coming out at the crow's nest. There's also the Caribou Wagon Road north of Hope, where you could drive north to Cache Creek and then turn right and you end up in Kamloops and away you go. You can't do any of that stuff anymore.
0: Mm -hmm. All those roads are washed out, right?
1: Yeah, there's another road. People will know it now as the Cedar Highway. It goes north out of North Vancouver, through, you know, Whistler and Squamish, Pemberton, Lillouette and so on, that's gone. Mm-hmm. And the rail lines, there's no rail lines that are up and running yet. Yeah. On Vancouver Island, interestingly, I'll tell you my own little experience. I woke up Monday morning, it was raining on my face in my bed oh my gosh. <laughs> and in my office. You know, I mean, I've got a pretty good roof, but when the water falls that fast and there's that much of it, you know, the, the drains can't take it out and it backs up and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, water was pouring down my drive into my carport. I was about a half an inch away from it pouring into the house. Then the winds came and we were out without power and, and well into, you know, the middle of the night. The Malahat Highway is the main highway north from Victoria. And, uh, that's been shut down until I think yesterday it's, uh, Uh, You know, uh, emergency traffic only, supply trucks, one lane, half hour waits, alternating, that kind of stuff. And a massive sinkhole opened north of Nanaimo. So you can't get north of uh, Nanaimo to anywhere else on Vancouver Island.
0: And how are people reacting to all of this?
1: We've had panic buying here. I mean, if you go to Souk, which is about, you know, three quarters of an hour west of Victoria. I mean, it's not just Hope and Merritt and Spencer's Bridge. Way out here, there were lineups, two and a half hours to get any gas. You know, the store shelves were emptying. You're seeing that in Victoria as well. In Merritt, there's a new river. The Coldwater River now runs through the middle down Pine Street in Mm Merritt.
0: What are we talking about in terms of the number of people who've been displaced by this?
1: Yeah, it's hard to say, really. I think the official figure was 17,000 people are still huddled in shelters and churches and so on. But it's really hard to say. I mean, with tens of thousands of people without power, my power's back up. My internet was down this morning. And I mean, I'm nowhere near the flooding. Yeah. Those poor people in Princeton and Hope, I don't know when they're ever going to be able to move back home. Merritt alone is 7,000 people.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Kamloops and Kelowna, you remember last summer's fires, right? People were being evacuated to Kamloops and Kelowna in the Okanagan. There are people who were displaced from last summer's fires, still displaced, who have been displaced from where they were displaced from because of the atmospheric river that poured through British Columbia. hmm there were a 1,000 vehicles that were unable to get out of Hope, which is about 130 kilometers. You couldn't go east of Vancouver. You couldn't go north. couldn't go east. You couldn't go west. And about a 1,000 vehicles, single lane, was opened on the north side of the river through Agassiz to Mission and on to Vancouver. But I think they've closed that down again. That was just a temporary deal. Yeah. It looks like Highway Three, you know, the southern route I was talking about, the crow's nest yeah. goes from Hope to Princeton and out. That should be open by the end of the week. And it's gonna be days before the road north out of Vancouver, the Sea to Sky Highway through Whistler and so on, will be open. Store shelves are basically empty <laughs> at a lot of the Costco's and Walmarts and so on in Kelowna, Vernon of course, Hope, Salmon Arm, Kamloops.
0: Yeah. You mentioned that store shelves on the island are empty, store shelves in some of these other communities have been emptied out. Is that because people are reacting by panic buying and hoarding, or is it also exacerbated by the fact that you can't get vehicles in to deliver goods right now? It's a bit of
1: both. Certainly on southern Vancouver Island, if people just behaved normally, I don't think we would have noticed much in the way of short-term shortages. Mm -hmm. There's going to be long-term you know, milk, eggs, thousands and thousands and thousands of chickens were killed in just in Sumas Prairie. Mm-hmm. Sumas, Abbotsford, the Fraser Valley, really important place in terms of agricultural production for Canada. You know, we've got all these freighters on the West Coast that are at anchor and cargo ships. The railways, I don't know when they're going to get, you know, Vancouver Port, Surrey Fraser Docks, Delta Port. There's no way in or out. And in Vancouver port, you know, this is the biggest port in Canada.
0: Yeah. It's a huge deal for Canada's economy.
1: It's going to be billions and billions and billions and billions to put this all back together again. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of really serious questions that people are asking about preparedness.
0: I do want to get into that, but just first, I want to touch on the notion that trying to get these channels repaired, these supply chains repaired, these roads and railways, what kind of timeline are we looking for? I assume it's weeks, if not months, for most of these major highways, right? We're we're talking about mountain highways that have had the ground beneath them washed out.
1: That's right. I mean, I think a lot of the older highways, like the Highway 99 North out of Vancouver, that might be open within a few days. Mm -hmm. I don't know how long or when the old Highway East on the north side of the Fraser... That's going to be days and days before it's regular traffic. You know, they can let people through on a kind of an emergency basis, one lane traffic and so on, and let supply trucks get through. It's going to be at least several days before Highway 3 is open, Mm -hmm. east of, you know, the highway that goes east of Hope. The Coquihalla, I think it's 7 million commercial trucks a year. Coquihalla is the artery, the main road out of British Columbia, out of the lower mainland, connecting the Okanagan and the Caribou to Vancouver and all that stuff. That's gone. I mean, it's a massive, massive highway, massive project in the 1980s, huge construction project. Yeah. That's going to be months before that's fixed. It's a big deal. It's it's a big deal.
0: Yeah. And you had mentioned the, the preparedness piece of this. I know there's been some criticism of the way the BC government handled reacting to this emergency, just like there was criticism of how the BC government handled reacting to the fires and the heat dome in the summer, you know, you're out there, you're on the ground there. What's your view of how they tackled this most recent disaster? And, you know, did they miss out on lessons they could have learned after what happened in the summer? Uh, yes,
1: <laughs> they did. I mean, I, I, last summer was absolutely bizarre. You had one day in Lytton, which is in the Fraser Canyon,
2: mm-hmm.
1: where it was 49 degrees 6, 49.6 C, which was hotter than Death Valley that day. It was hotter than any temperature recorded in Canadian history, hotter than any temperature recorded north of the 45th parallel anywhere on the planet. I mean, British Columbia is really sort of ecologically diverse, right? Yeah. You know, you get everything from the high alpine and the boreal in the north, and you got the west coast temperate rainforest, and then you've got basically the the, the sage desert in the southern interior. It's the very tip of the great Sonoran desert that goes all the way down to California and so on. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's really hot in Lytton and Lillooet and Cache Creek in the summertime. People are used to that, but this was nuts. And then in one day, you know, Lytton has turned into ash and cinders. Several hundred people died all over the province, and the province was just sort of not there. Yeah, The emergency health services was begging for help. People were wandering the streets of Surrey, shouting at the top of their lungs about their grannies dying, waiting, you know, an hour, two, three hours for ambulances to show up. It wasn't until the worst of the heat dome had passed before the provincial government kicked in It's, you know, emergency system. It was very strange. And in this case, there's a number of fail-safes. They weren't triggered, particularly in Abbotsford, you know, on the Sumas Prairie flooding. The Fraser Basin Council has been warning for years that because of climate change, we're looking to extreme weather events, massive flooding, and then massive droughts. I was writing about this 30 years ago when uh, the Department of Fisheries and Oceans was warning about high-level temperatures in the Fraser River and low water levels, making it impossible for salmon to get up through the Fraser Canyon and so on. This has been coming for a long time. And the Fraser Basin Council was warning about this in a report in, I think, 2014. And it's not clear at this point whether or not any of those warnings were taken into account. One of the things the provincial government has been doing I mean, you've got Mike Farmworth, who's the head of public safety, right? And public safety minister. And he's saying, well, you know, public safety isn't really my gig. It's really the local areas, the local municipalities that are supposed to handle this. Well, you know what? The town of Princeton is not going to be able to hold back water from the Tulamine River. Mm-hmm. That's provincial. It's a big deal. And I don't know when they're, those poor people are going to be dry again. Similarly, there'll be lots of warnings about the Coquihalla. The Coquihalla Highway was built in the 80s. You know, it was a pretty skookum highway. <laughs> but there were some warnings early on, you know, in the 90s that, gosh, you know, with these extreme events, there's a number of places along the Coquihalla that could get washed out. And, of course, now that's happened. Yeah, A lot of people, I think, are asking perfectly reasonable questions of the provincial government as to why weren't they on the ball, you know? We have a provincial emergency system. You know, you get those text messages. I think people in Ontario are particularly familiar with that. Nobody got any text messages. was like you had hundreds of people, not in some remote place, mm-hmm. but, you know, in the Fraser Valley who were trapped on the road overnight between mudslides. You know, where were the text messages? Where were the alerts saying, avoid this area, stay away from that area, stay home? Nothing. When the worst of it is passed and everybody's looking around and the whole landscape looks like something from some kind of Hollywood movie about the end of the world, the provincial government says, well, you know, it's not really our responsibility. You know, the local municipalities need to really get their act together. Are you kidding (laughs) me? So, you know, I mean, I don't want to be mean. There may be a lot of validity in what the provincial people are saying. Certainly the emergency services. People have been overloaded. COVID is part of it. Mm -hmm. But I mean, last summer, you know, ambulance drivers were just collapsing from exhaustion and weeping. Yeah. Because they just didn't have the resources to get to people who were dying.
0: We'll be right back. You look at other provinces, like I'm, I'm in Alberta right now and the Fort McMurray fires, there's a provincial operations center, the Fort McMurray floods, there's a provincial operations center that activates in extreme emergencies. It was the same with the Calgary flooding in 2013. You get big natural disasters that are massive in scope and it kind of triggers a response from the province. Does BC not have something like that? B.C.
1: does have something like that, but it wasn't activated until uh, the rain stopped falling. Mm -hmm. And that's when it started to get really windy. I mean, holy crap. I live in a really weird place. Where I live, you know, it gets really strange here sometimes. It feels like Tuscany in the morning, and in the evening, it feels like Sitka, Alaska. (laughs) And so, you know, you have to be really kind of on top of it on the B.C. coast because in an instant, Particularly with climate change being the way it is, all it takes is just a barely perceptible change in the mean average temperature, for instance, of a particular ecosystem in British Columbia, and all hell breaks loose.
0: Yeah. And have the waters receded enough to get a sense of how big the damage is in communities like Merritt and Lytton and, and others? Is that still a big unknown here?
1: Yeah, it's Merritt and Princeton. I I think, well, the waters are starting to come down a bit. But, you know, as far as Merritt's concerned, there's like I say, there's a new river in town. Mm -hmm. It goes goes down Pine Street. And their wastewater systems, the whole water system is broken. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And who knows when they're going to be able to put it back together again. There's still truckers that are stranded in Princeton or, you know, in the Princeton area. I don't know if anybody really knows. It's
0: pretty grim. I've spent time in BC in the winter. My mom used to live out on the island and everyone knows what a BC winter can be like. It can be cold and it can be rainy. In places that don't get snow, you're going to get rain. And this may seem like okay. We got this atmospheric river, we got this big deluge, but now it's over, but that's not the case for BC. Is it? Like this no. we could it could get worse just due to the natural weather patterns of BC at this time of year, right?
1: Yeah, it's not as though, okay, all the rain has fallen. (laughs) (laughs) It'll be raining, and God knows what kind of rain is coming. That's the other thing. One of the things that's really disturbing, I think, is people are shouting and screaming of, oh, is this climate change? No, it's not climate change. Oh, the Fraser Valley. You know, I used to live in a houseboat on the Fraser River. I sort of grew up around the New Westminster Burnaby area and uh, along the river there, and there's two dikes. People know what a dike is. eh? It's kind of like a levee. Yeah. You know, there was the 1902 dike, and then there was the 1948 dike. And the 1948 dike was higher. And that's because there was this huge flood in 1948, every bit as bad as the flood in uh, the Fraser Valley that we're seeing right now. But that was just one event, okay? And then the floodwaters receded, and people put themselves back together again. This is not just one event. Mm -hmm. This is an infrastructure event on the scale of a massive... Earthquake, for starters. Then you start adding up the floods. Then you start adding up the rivers that have burst their banks and have carried houses away.
0: And do you feel like this gets us to a more robust conversation about climate change?
1: One of the things that I think really complicates this business about climate change is that we keep talking about it as something that's happening in the future. And it's also complicated by the fact that there's very little acknowledgement of the fact that, you know, Canada actually produces only about 2% of the world's greenhouse gas emissions. You know, this is a global problem that we need to be dealing with globally. Yeah. I am not of the school that says it doesn't matter what Canada does. It matters. You know, we need to do everything possible to reduce Canada's greenhouse gas emissions, But we also need to armor ourselves against what is bound to be coming and what has been coming for years now. Mm -hmm. We know what climate change is like. And we can have all of these interesting arguments about the degree to which it's anthropogenic and you know human-caused or not, and whether or not Canada is really that big of a problem, all that kind of stuff. The reality of it is we're living in it now. And it's becoming much, much more intense. And, you know, I'm not going to say we lost the battle, but we're in this now. Yeah. You know, this is, this is like a war zone for God's sake.
0: And governments need to do more to prepare for these kinds of consequences, right?
1: That's right. Yeah. Over the long term, but certainly now there really needs to be a federal and provincial mobilization. I know the military's out here now. You know, we were stupid enough to shut down Canadian forces-based Chilliwack back in the day. You know, we've hardly got any military presence on the coast. We've got those great guys from Comox. They're flying in with helicopters, doing their best. Mm -hmm. But we really do need to hunker down, is is the way I like to put it, and start thinking about taking care of each other. We should not be so reliant on these global supply chains in a liberal economic world order that has been broken for some years now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. It's not a left-right thing. For years, the left has been talking about things like food security in Canada. And we go, oh, you're a bunch of hippies, organic farmers. Yeah, go back to your goat farm. Well, the Conservative Party in the last federal election said, you know, we need to fund an institute on food security in Canada. And everybody thought laughed at them. <laughs> you know, we need to be talking about food security. We need to be talking about building our own stuff again, you know, in ways that don't require the kind of fossil fuels that we've been relying on. We need to take care of people in Alberta. We need to take care of all those people in the oil patch. I mean, they've been brought up on this stuff. We've been all living off that wealth. Yeah. Those are the people that we should be looking after, right? That's my little speech, I'm sorry. But personally, I think that's the lesson that's being learned here.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And we're awake. We don't need a wake-up call, thank you very much, particularly British Columbians. We know this is happening. Yeah, we need to take care of each other. And we need to stop beating up on each other and whinging about those beastly Albertans. we got to figure out our way through this stuff. And it's going to require a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's a lot of work that's associated with this. a lot of private sector, you know, huge areas of the economy that we, we could be developing and doing this sort of thing. Can I just say one last thing? Sure thing. I want a big shout-out to the Gurdwaras, the Sikh temples, Kalsa Aid, the Duke Navaran Saab Temple in Surrey. These guys have been flying meals in by helicopter to people who are stuck. You know, all the Sikh temples in Kelowna, Kamloops, and, and, you know, a lot of wonderful church people doing great stuff, volunteers showing up with, you know, to do sandbags. I just wanted to say that. So there you go.
0: These are big questions that Canada is going to have to answer, and I know that it's an issue that we'll be almost forced to pay attention to as we watch BC clean up after all of this. Terry, thanks for your time. Okay, see ya. 10-3 is produced by Sean Knox, theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest Terry Glavin. More from him at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening.